Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I'm here with my very good friend and coaching colleague, Brett Bartholomew, and we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship in the fitness industry where we both sort of started and how it has transformed over the years and what that process actually looks like. Because on social media, it's really easy to get an idea, you know, but it's really only that highlight reel of what you're seeing now and not everything that led up to that. And Brett has an incredible business with Art of Coaching. And I would love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself, Brett. Hey, Brianna. Thank you. My name is Brett Bartholomew. I've been a strength and conditioning coach for more than 15 years. Uh, and an entrepreneur since really 2016, when I decided to go on my own and really cross over with a lot of the things that I learned as a performance coach, working predominantly with athletes and military into now working on psychology, change behavior, communication, negotiation tactics, and even helping people build their own brand uh, that are leaders in other fields. So Art of Coaching is essentially about helping anybody that identifies as a coach, regardless of the field, find their voice, be able to figure out who they can help the most and deal with the messy realities of leadership. So that's the above the fold headline. I'm happy to go deeper if you'd like. <laughs> All right. But you, so you started out in fitness and coaching a lot of athletes. And so what, what were those early years like and what are your degrees in? Yeah. Well, I think too, like you don't really know somebody until you know what they've gone through and what they want out of life. Right. So before any of that, the, probably the biggest thing that helps people orient around me and, and why my tone is one of urgency is I nearly lost my life at a young age due to poor medical care that was really rooted in, in bad communication. And anybody that's familiar with the statistics, about $12 billion a year is lost in healthcare or more uh, due to uh, litigation things that go on due to poor medical care, due to issues in the healthcare system. And through that experience, I uh, found an obsession with human physiology and also just the human mind. What makes us do the quirky things that we did uh, and that we do every day, especially because there were some behaviors that I had uh, that were more around depression and OCD when I was a teenager that, that contributed to me being hospitalized and nearly losing my life. But there was also just witnessing how healthcare professionals treated patients in this system with this one size fits all approach. So for me, coaching and performance was a perfect way to marry my obsession with the human body and my obsession with the human, just human nature and interaction to do that. And then it's funny, my background was so strict, Brianna, that you said, so you started in fitness. My mentors and even me 10 years ago would say, no, I'm going to stop you there. Strength and conditioning is not fitness, right? Now, you and I both know the definition of fitness is an organism's ability to complete a task, right? It's all, but you know, what I did was very different than traditional personal training, working with athletes and all those things. And it was, it was rooted into us in such a hardcore way that you do not care about money. You do not do traditional fitness BS. You do not become an entrepreneur. You do your job. And it was almost like you're expected to die as a coal miner 
you know, kind of thing. So that was really the roots of, of a lot of that working both in private industry and in the team setting. But eventually, and I think a lot of your listeners hopefully can relate to this. I know you certainly can. I got tired of not being in control of my own time. Um, I love what I do. I love serving other people, but eventually I wanted to write a book. I got more speaking opportunities and no matter what, wherever I found myself, I wasn't able to do that. They either got to own the content. I got interviewed for the director of performance and mini pro sport jobs. They'd said, you have to take your book down. And I just look around and I'd see people like Brene Brown or Jocko Willink or people in other industries that they crossed over. It was okay for them to do their job. And so I just remember telling my wife, I'm like, I don't think this is for us anymore. There's a way for us to continue to coach in many different avenues but still own what we do. And so that was the biggest impetus of, I got really tired of people controlling me and my efforts and the definition of what it meant to give and be a coach. Well, and I think that's exactly why we get along so well, because same, you know, you spend, I spent so many years in strength and conditioning, turned fitness industry, turned collegiate athletics. And then it was like, I don't want, especially when I became a mom, and I know you can relate to this too, especially as a parent now, you don't want somebody else or something else telling you what to do or not do with your coaching upside, because right. I think upside is what gets lost in translation and strength conditioning in coaching athletes, maybe at a younger level, we're always looking for upside. That's like ingrained into us, but that gets lost. I think for yeah. so many coaching and fitness professionals, like, can you touch on that? Like how you, I know you talk a lot about burnout, but where we don't see our own upside. Yeah, this depends where how deep you want to go into this because as part of like my way of trying to understand why this industry is the way it is, we went deep into a lot of research, but I'll keep it very kind of basic at first just so I don't put anybody to sleep. But I, I think that there's a lot of nurture and nature here. When you look at the research, there is in, in any field that is more healthcare related or even education oriented, you see this obviously in education, uh, you see this in even customer service. You see this in counseling. There is this expectation of servitude at all costs, right? And and I think sometimes we forget that to be selfless, you first need to be selfish. You do need to put your oxygen mask on first if the plane has a change in cabin pressure to help other people. But there is this kind of uh, eternal voice that contributes to gaslighting in, in the coaching and, and kind of servant-based leader realm, and I don't know where it comes from, that you're just supposed to forget about yourself and give to others. And it's tricky because I don't know if you dealt with this, but how do I phrase this? I, I once went so deep down the humility rabbit hole that I didn't celebrate anything I did. I didn't celebrate my book, Conscious Coaching, Becoming a Bestseller. I didn't celebrate when my athletes performed really well. I didn't celebrate because it was just kind of ingrained in me. It's not about you. It's not about you. You're not a real coach if you're thinking about your own accolades. And it became kind of unhealthy because I started going down this kind of languishing rabbit hole where it felt like I was never impressed with my own work. None of it was ever good enough. And it was really because I wasn't celebrating. And it's this fine line, right? Because on the other end, you have this massive self-love movement where if you like get out of bed, you're supposed to celebrate and give yourself like a, a spa day and some big bonus. And it's like, come on, no participation medals in life. But on the other end, you can't sit there and constantly think that what you have is not good enough. 
But when you're, when you're dealing with people like your audience and, and I know our audience at Art of Coaching who expect a lot of that of themselves, they're achievement oriented, meaning every day they want to feel like they just got a little bit better at something. And they have this drive for significance, meaning they'd like to go at the end of the day when their life's done, they'd like to know that they were useful to people and helpful to people. It can get really easy to get caught up in that trap. So the biggest piece for your audience to take home that's tactical is you need to kind of understand yourself at a higher level. And if you want, we have a free resource at artofcoaching.com slash what drives you. Simple quiz. We tell people to take it three to six times a year, especially when they're in different moods. Unlike the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs and all that, it, it will give you kind of strengths and snares of, hey, this is kind of where you tend to skew in terms of what drives you. Be aware of these things. Also leverage these things. Find this middle ground between there's a time to hold yourself accountable and, but at the same time, don't listen to that broader industry voice that, that tells you, no, it's not about you and you should never celebrate it. You need to, otherwise it's just not sustainable with how much we all give and focus on other people. So I apologize for the rant. It's just something we're really passionate about. I really like the rant. I think it is so hard when you're just like, you're in the climbing stage where you just have those blinders on where it's go, go, go. And we're really driven and really passionate. It's hard to celebrate any success because your eyes are not on now. It's on like, go, it's on the future. It's what's ahead. It's what you want to achieve. And it's it's still hard, I think, for both of us. I know that's something we still struggle with to be able to take a step back and look and go, wow, like, look how far we've come over the last couple of years. And it's incredible how much has changed since both of us went into business for ourselves and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and it, one thing not to ever be overlooked, and, and I'm sure you've talked about this plenty with your audience is imposter phenomenon is actually fairly healthy. We, we have another free resource if it's of value to your audience at artofcoaching.com slash imposter. But some of the, um, how do I phrase this? The only people that are not scared that they don't belong or that their work's not good enough are straight up just narcissists. Yeah, right? exactly. Like if you feel like you don't belong, that's okay. That's good. It's good to worry. Now, exactly. if, if it cripples you in the sense that your fear keeps you from taking the next step, I mean, the reality is, is nobody really knows what they're doing in life. You know, we've been brought in uh, from organizations like Wells Fargo and Tonal and, and a lot of the top tier military organizations. And you know what? The honest ones are all very transparent about we're all just trying to figure this out. And so I think people need to reframe imposter phenomenon to know that it's healthy. Uh, it, it does help to identify what aspects of it you struggle with. And that guide I mentioned will help. But then it's also helpful if somebody just takes a sticky note and they write on it, fear is selfish. And they put that somewhere in their line of sight and they remind themselves that, you know, it's okay to be scared, but if you're scared or nervous or hard on yourself to the point where you're not putting anything out, it's selfish from the standpoint that there's so many people that you're robbing of the opportunity to be helped by your perspective because you are an expert in something. I mean, there's an 18-year-old out there that doesn't have any formal job titles, certifications, licensures, whatever, but he is an expert in how to backpack across Europe, right? Like yeah. you're an expert in something and you just need to figure out what that is and own it. How do you go about finding out what that is? I mean, there's so much life experience there, but if we're talking to maybe strength conditioning coaches or fitness professionals, or maybe any professional who's been doing the same thing for a few years. And they know like, this is not fulfilling. I think there's something more. And I know that's where you and I got to a crossroads in our own uh, professional journey, but what would you tell somebody in that situation? Yeah, I think, and we talk about this in our online course, blind spot and a live event that we're doing coming up, but 
we, we say, first off, the first thing you should do, and there's many, but go, go to the obvious. And what I mean by that is look in your emails, look in your DMs, look in your text messages, think back to phone calls. What do people already reach out to you for advice on? You know, for, for me, everything that I'm doing with Art of Coaching now, it was how to get across or how to get buy-in from quote unquote difficult athletes. You know, having primarily trained pro athletes, I'm a five foot eight white guy from Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm telling people from a dramatically different socioeconomic background, most of the time, who could be worth anywhere from 50 million to a hundred million to whatever, to do things that they inherently don't really want to do, you know, all the time. Now there are plenty of athletes that love the training. They love this, but there are others that are like, yo dude, like this is a means to an end for me. I want to play ball. I got to do this. And, and I got to understand that. But I always had, because I was hospitalized and I understood kind of what makes people tick at a different level, because you have to look at yourself at a different level when you're in a situation like that. And we all know understanding yourself helps you better understand others. People would reach out to me and say, how do you get your guys to do this? How do you get them to do that? And, and when I say do this or do that, Brianna, I made my name doing non-sexy training, right? You would see pro athletes on my social media doing the simple things savagely well, as opposed to so many other people that were trying to fancify everything. So when I say people would reach out, they'd say, how do you get them to stay engaged with that? How do you get them to not like, you know, complain that you're not doing some sexy drill? So that was obvious to me that people reached out to me to better understand building buy-in. And so that's where a lot of that started. Now, and ironic, uh, this is very ironic, when COVID hit, the buy-in part of our business kind of just stayed stable but the the number one segment or revenue generator became, hey, how do I build my own brand? So this was the full ironic, full circle. Coaches in the past who were getting on me for, oh, I can't believe you put yourself out there. You know, you're a sellout. Now all these people were hitting me up because guess what? Their teams were furloughing them. Uh, guess what? They were losing their jobs. Guess what? They were having, the era has changed. And so there were some of them and I asked them, I go, listen, what changed your mind? Because you weren't super respectful at the beginning. And they said, listen, uh, this problem became more prevalent in my life. I was probably short-sighted and bop, bop, bop. But the point I'm making there is that wasn't an area we were going to go in art of coaching. But all of a sudden when our inbox kept filling up and people kept asking, so your audience has to look at what do your parents ask? What do your friends ask? What, do, what, what does anybody ask you? And, and pull that common thread, no matter how small it is. And then also go where you have influence. Brianna, there's such a misconception that people have to, oh, it's got to be social media. No, it doesn't. There are people that are tremendous uh, contributors on Quora, on Reddit, on other forums, in different Facebook groups. You need to look at where you have the most leverage now. Where are you the expert in your own community, digital or real? And start there. You know, start there and and think about like and just ask some folks like if i ask you brian i know i could call you at any point and say hey i know i have some blind spots just like anybody else what is something that you think i'm good at that i might be missing and just have that kind of honest conversation and and chat with people a little bit about it. i think that's three easy really low hanging fruit ways to kind of get some ideas flowing oh i 100% agree with that and i'm going to piggyback off of that because you know, with the PNPA coaching certification, not only are we teaching curriculum, but it has evolved into people are learning this. They're, like, they're learning how to coach pregnant and postpartum athletes, and they're realizing, oh my God, I could actually start a business. And it might be a really small business in my community or online where you're making 500 bucks a month, but that's $500 a month you did not have. And I remember what a huge impact that made for me initially starting out when I was coaching just like a couple people uh, a few times a week. 
right after or like a year after Cade was born. I just recorded an episode on this and people get that carrot kind of like put in front of them where they're like, oh, like there's opportunity here, but how do I actually get started? And then it's just, you know, like analysis paralysis where they don't know exactly the right next thing in starting a business. And I know you talk so much about that, but there is such a huge component to getting in the trenches and doing the work yourself, doing the work with a friend, doing the work with just one client before you're starting an online business. Like you have to actually put it into practice and get a lot of reps in there. And I think that's the huge disconnect in the online fitness entrepreneur community is people are skipping a lot of steps in order to have that credibility and then growth potential. We talked about upside and that's something I see quite a bit with working with coaches who are starting out or trying to evolve their business. Do you feel the same with that? So one, and I don't think that this can be hit enough. I know in our upcoming, like our March workshop, we're spending an entire, probably a third of the first day helping people get out of their own heads and find the clues of what they might be the best at so that they can create true differentiation. Let me me talk about differentiation for a bit. And then the next step, because you talked about that. When we think about differentiation, you could think of it colloquially as like, how do you stand out? It's not necessarily the same as a niche, but you can use that term. But let me give you an example of poor differentiation, right? So in the strength and conditioning or fitness industry, a lot of times what you see is, let's say somebody was opening a gym and they try saying, well, we're the speed guys. And I'm using guys as an inclusive term, no matter how somebody identifies gender wise, but like, uh, oh, we're the speed guys, or we have better technique, or we do this and they don't have that. Taking that approach, kind of this just shouting your value, trying to prove your value is kind of like going into the grocery store and the the water section, right? When you go into the bottled water section, there's regular bottled water, there's spring water, there's purified, there's distilled, there's carbonated, there's flavored. But guess what, Brianna? It's all water. And so when people take the approach of I'm just going to enter this same space, this red ocean, then you're basically just trying to, uh, you're, you're water. There's no true differentiation there. So think about what, it's fine if you're going into a space that somebody's already there, but then you're going to have to think about like, how do you alter the delivery of that, right? What's actually unique about what you do or the service offering for us, we we're starting something this year called the art of coaching speaker school. And it's to help people be better presenters, right? There's a lot of people that do that. You could go to Toastmasters, you could do this, you could do that. But one thing that's unique about our product and what we're doing is how much hands-on role-playing we're doing, how much triaging into the uniqueness of uh, different aspects of communication beyond just verbal and nonverbal. We have like an evaluation that we're using that's part of our doctorate. We're creating a more empirical and practical way to build a speaking business. We're not just telling people, oh, practice your speech and have one idea per slide and don't put your hands in your pockets and make sure to maintain eye contact, right? So you have to figure out Uh, It may not be a unique product, but the delivery could be unique. Uh, There's got to be something different. There's got to be something so obvious to your audience that you don't even need to explain it. And I think that's the piece of saying uh, there, there are so many of your listeners that are probably like, they love what you do and what you do is such a phenomenal niche. And I see so many pretenders trying to do it. But nothing about, it's like, they're just trying to copy every aspect of what you do, not your listeners, but the pretenders, right? So if your listeners are inspired and they've taken your courses and they want to kind of follow that same path, awesome. Like just figure it out. What about maybe even your personality is different, right? Brianna, you're very, you are very outgoing. You're gregarious. You're charismatic. You're, you're also very direct. There might be somebody in your audience. that's like, I don't really feel like I have that kind of like 
panache. Yeah, but even if you, the person listening to this, even if you're kind of uh, inward and you're kind of goofy and you stumble over your words, that's incredibly charming to some people, right? Like I know my wife, she is very put off by this whole like girl boss thing that you see out there right now. She's like, oh my God, like where is the, where is the woman that is just like, Hey, I'm just practical. I'm, I'm laying one brick at a time. I don't need somebody to tell me about their eight Lamborghinis and all this kind of stuff. So I think that delivery method is huge. That's really helpful because I know so many people listening to this are in the fitness industry as personal trainers, as strength conditioning coaches, or something connected to that realm. And they're trying to figure out how to differentiate themselves, how to have a different kind of offer, how to get more clients in, or just create a business that supports where they want to take it. And I think that's the hard part is you learn so much in the trenches of just doing and trying and say like, does that stick? Is there evidence to support me trying this thing? Because I think we get in our own way with like, oh, I want to make this thing. This is what I want to do. And then who's going to buy it? Is that actually what people are interested in? And I see that a lot with these coaches is they create this thing thinking that there's demand for it, but they haven't looked at the thing that actually differentiates their program or their business or themselves. Yeah, they're building products a lot of times that they want to build instead of the things that people really need. Now, I also want to say this just to hedge it, right? Because we had a product bought in. It's one of our online courses. It was the first thing I did after my book. And, you know, we did a five-day launch back in 2017. And that five-day launch brought in $225,000. It was amazing. I I never even fathomed that. It was unbelievable. Now, uh, anybody that owns a business knows that you don't just get that money, right? We had a partner uh, after taxes, all that, that basically was like the down pay- an $80,000 down payment on our home when we moved, right? But then we've had other courses that coaches say they wanted, that they needed, that they were just voracious about the concept of, and they fell flat. You know, they didn't do that well. But then all of a sudden on the back end, like two to three years later, they crushed it. Yep. So you need to give your stuff some time. I sell a product by and large that people think they're already good at, that they don't need help with, and that some people have made into this joke. And when I say my product, it's communication. You and I both know that nobody wakes up and they're like, and this is for your audience. You want to think, what do people wake up saying they want? For us, we know people don't wake up being like, man, I can't wait to spend $500 on a course to be a better communicator today. (laughs) What they do wake up and say is, I want less drama in my life. I want to be more efficient. I want to be more respected. I want to get things done. And all those things come down to some aspect of inter or intrapersonal communication. So you've got to make sure that you're selling them on the dream and the output uh, because otherwise we're such selfish creatures with our attention and everything they're not going to think it. So one of your listeners could have the best thing in the world right now, but their messaging's off. Let me give a practical example. We have a guy in our mastermind group, phenomenal human being, very brilliant. And one of his pop-ups on his website said, get the best training tactics to help you get the best results. And I said, I'm going to make up a name. I'll call him Miguel. I said, Miguel, listen, this is problematic in that best is so relative. That's not really specific. Uh, what And I was like, think about it this way. If somebody utilizes the best training methods, what does that help them with? He's like, well, they're less likely to get injured. I go, great. What else? He goes, well, they're going to be more efficient with their workouts. They can get more done in their everyday life. And I go, awesome. Then like lead with that because people don't walk around saying, I want the best methods. They right. walk around saying they want the result of those methods. So that's another huge aspect of what we try to do is help people really hone in on their communication and what it is you're trying to say. 
right? Really emphasizing that how. I think what we both see and what drives us equally crazy is the coaches and fitness professionals and practitioners that get caught up in nuance and arguing the nuance instead of actually helping the people in front of them or the people that are like, yo, I don't care about this exercise for diastasis if it's, if it's like good or bad or that specific drill, is that good or bad for that particular football player? And they get so caught up arguing or trying to make their point. And that's what they're driving is a point to their peers and colleagues rather than to the people that are willing to give them money and buy from them. Well, what that is, is that goes back to the bottled water thing. That's value signaling, right? When you look at the fitness industry and strength and conditioning, and there are some incredible differences, and there are also some stark, like there are some clear parallels. Let's talk about strength and conditioning first. It's a field that doesn't really have a clear way to demonstrate its value. Brianna, you could be the best strength coach in the world, and you could go get hired by the Cleveland Browns, and they could still go 0-12, right? right? If, you know, if they don't have the right team, the right staff, the right this, the right that. There's so many talented people out there that have used the right methods with their athletes, and their athlete, just because of their medical history, or maybe they got nerves or whatever, didn't perform the way they wanted to. Conversely, there are people that are quote-unquote celebrity trainers that basically put somebody on some extreme diet that was awful for them, made them do some BS exercises, and because that person's genetics, they looked great. So now all of a sudden, you have some crap trainer that has all this credibility because you know it's just... And so when you have a field or collectively fields that don't have clear and objective ways to kind of measure their effectiveness, they will value signal in whatever way becomes uh, most easy to them. And as human beings, right, due to our primal and carnal nature, that is us thumping our chest and saying, I'm right, Brianna's wrong. These people are stupid. Look at what they did. And it becomes a huge game of confirmation bias because I saw it all the time. I, I had a friend that he did a ton of NFL combine prep. And if one athlete out of a hundred pulled a hamstring, everybody would jump on them and be like, oh, you know, your athlete did this and that. It's like timeout. You know, that's like telling a brain surgeon, even if he's had a thousand successful surgeries, one that didn't go well, that he's a hack. So people have to be very mindful to your point. Don't try to prove your value, provide it, provide it. And that's why you've got to really find different ways to show up. You know, you can take down a Goliath. Uh, in your niche or whatever, just by providing more authentic customer care and service and reaching out and doing highly personal stuff. Right. Yeah. And I've seen that in, uh, I, I can't say that I set out to do this, but it was the consistently showing up through the years with similar yet evolving messaging. The more I learned about myself as a coach, the more I was in the trenches working with athletes. It's like the people that were saying, we're in the industry, maybe already established. I just kind of kept gradually climbing and saying saying the same things. And now not only are we equals, my business has surpassed that. And it's yep. been, I want to say that with a lot of humility, because I think that that's a hard thing to recognize until somebody kind of stops you, taps your shoulder and says like, do you realize like where you started and where it's, where it's kind of what it's turned into. And it's really hard to zoom out and see that it's that long game though. Yeah. Well, I, I think another thing that people have to do is that you have to value yourself. Yeah. I think that's really when, when, and we have a lot of experience with this kind of within the interviews that we've conducted. So many people have trouble getting started, Brianna. They, they may say they don't know the next step. They may say all that stuff. But the reality is they don't value themselves and that's okay. Nobody's nobody's talking like there's times where I don't put the value on myself that I think I should. 
but you need to understand, let's say we're talking about the, how much do you even charge kind of thing? Cause that's, a yeah, huge... that was going to be my next question for you. Cause of that tweet you had. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- this ended up being the top downloaded podcast of the year for us last year. We did a whole episode on how, what to charge for your time. I won't bore everybody with a whole diatribe there, but you know, a couple of things you have to think about with that is how much do you value your time? What did it cost you either from a hard knocks perspective or the investment, literal investment you put in to learning your skills, your experience, your perspective, you know, it it really, how much you charge for your time does come down to how much you value your time and yourself. I'll give you a quick story. I remember one time a university reached out to us and they said, we want you to come in three days, bop, 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 bop. I said, great, that's going to be about $5,500 based on what they wanted, right? And they wanted several presentations. I was basically going to be there three full days, dinners, all these pieces. Now, mind you, this is a university that had just done a $100 million renovation in their weight room, all these pieces. They had the money. And the guy was like, listen, uh, listen, brother, you know, I love you. That's just not really in our wheelhouse. And uh, we were just kind of hoping that this would bring you, you know, you'd understand that there's credibility here being associated with us, all that. That right there is what I call the weaponization of guilt. When people say they support your work, but then they try to lowball you and all that. And we lay it out. But eventually what he said is he goes, I thought that it would be a little bit cheaper based on these being topics you've spoken on before. And I stopped him for a minute and I said, listen, with all due respect, you know, I just bought a new MacBook and it's probably the God knows 200 millionth one they've created. The price doesn't get cheaper just because there's other MacBooks like this and they have that model and that template, right? I don't know who's watching right now, but I have a Yeti mug right here. The price doesn't get cheaper just because Yeti mass produces these. And even if you do ask me to give a presentation that I've given before, I never give it the same way. I always update it. I always customize it. It's that old kind of shipbuilder thing of uh, this guy, you know, that owns cruise liners, paid a handyman to come out to fix a leak. I'm massively kind of just shortening this for the sake of time. The gentleman comes out, sees the leak, taps it twice with his hammer, sends an invoice for like $10,000. The gentleman goes, where do you get off charging us for something like that? And all you did was tap your hammer twice. And he said, all right, well, here's the itemized receipt. Tapping my hammer twice to, you know, $1, knowing where to tap $9,999. And so the final thing is, just when I had about lost it because we got turned down for that university deal, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm done just speaking to strength coaches. They don't understand economics. This is BS. I'm not just going to run around teaching for $200 here, $300 there. I got a call from a massive uh, financial firm that said, we'll pay you 10 grand for 60 minutes, first class airfare, boom. And I remember like, I was just like, right when I was about ready to just lose it, devalue myself, throw in the towel because I felt like I had given all these years of goodwill to people. Yeah, like that happened. And I'm not saying that I get those calls every day. Of course I don't. But you know, you have to understand, set your price based on the time it took you to gain that education, the time it takes, like you're going to be away from your family. You're going to be away from your business. When I'm gone, Brianna, I I have salaries I have to pay. And my payroll taxes alone can get up to $10,000. So if somebody pays me $4,000 to speak, that money is gone before it's even in my bank account. Uh, you know, So just do a basic economic breakdown of this stuff. And if you're just starting out, yes, you might have to do some for free. That helps you. You can get photos of you speaking, photos of you providing your service, photo, you know, testimonials. So also keep in mind, it doesn't have to be financial. There are other things that could be valuable to you but cheap for somebody else. So even if you are struggling, 
charging for your time, at least say, hey, would you mind a testimonial or a referral or this? There's so many other forms of currency. Exactly. It's really just understanding how to leverage that. And yeah, it's starting out knowing what you need to leverage and why you need to leverage it. And then as time goes on, it sounds like what you're saying is also knowing when to say no to, you know, maybe you got told no, but at the same time, I know you and I have both recently discussed different projects we've been asked to do where it's like, two years ago, I probably would have said yes. And be like, oh my God, I can't believe I got asked to write that or speak here or, you know, sign on with this, with this company. And then you realize that's just not worth my time and energy because it can be better spent in my own business. Like that's a, a huge place to get to also for a lot of coaches or entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the thing that holds most people back is just the fact that there's, it's so overwhelming to figure out what do I do? What do I charge? What's the next step? What's the right way? What's the wrong way? There, there isn't, you know, I think even going back to something we talked about in our mastermind last night, a gentleman goes, I'm starting a newsletter and I'd love some feedback. And I go, here's my feedback. Don't ask for feedback until you've written 20 newsletters. And he <laughs> yeah. goes, well, what do you mean by that? I go, because somebody could give you feedback and they're going to tear it down, which is going to make you overthink anyway. And you're going to then worry about writing the perfect newsletter. And then you won't even write five. I go write 20. Like the, the biggest separator for most people is just consistency and getting started. I think we found out this year and Ali Kirshner, my colleague could correct me on this, but we, we were looking at podcast statistics this year. And she told me, do you know your podcast is in the top 3% of podcasts in the world? And I go, there's no chance. I go that I'm not no chance. And she so we went into Nielsen SoundScan and that data came from the fact that there's over 2.5 million podcasts out there. But I think something like 80 to 90% haven't done more than like 20 episodes. And so literally if you just get like, I think like four to 5,000 downloads per month, per episode, or whenever it comes out that you're in the top 3%. And I was like, oh my God. And that's just the value of consistency. I don't have Joe Rogan's staff. I don't have 40 people that help me produce our podcast to you. No. And that was the same exact conversation I just had with my podcast manager was like, let me put this in perspective for you. Because I was like, oh my God, like, it's like same, like top 2%. I'm like, my podcast, I don't have that many like downloads. I feel like it's just sort of out there, but it's the fact that you stay consistent with it. And do the same things and getting in those reps. There are so like, as coaches, we know the value of repetition. We forget that when we are building our career. And I know you talk so much about that. And is it valued where you talk about that? So there's a couple of reasons. Valued was what I created for strength coaches that feel like they're burnout. They feel like they're kind of suckered in the industry. They don't really know where to go next. For people that are really trying to do what we're talking about, kind of going out on their own, kind of where do I get out of my own head? How do I start? This is, it's called blind spot. It's just artofcoaching.com slash blind spot. That's our digital course. And it walks you through kind of getting over the psychological barriers, the procedural barriers, figuring out your niche, figuring out your pricing strategy. And then there's a whole module on what to do when things go wrong, all that kind of stuff. And then we're doing a live workshop here in Atlanta in March. That's very, very hands-on interactive where coaches that, you know, want to kind of pitch each other, want to kind of get in front of other coaches who are insecure about this stuff or trying to figure it out or in their own heads, you know, there, uh, that that's a big one too. And I know you and I have talked about doing a joint uh, event sometimes. So if people want to do that, but one other thing I just want to say to your audience, to so hopefully encourage them is 
you know, and let's say somebody wants to start a podcast and, and even if they don't, you can use this as an example for whatever. You know, when I started the podcast, we never wanted to do one where we like reached out to a bunch of celebrities because we see the same people on the same podcast all the time, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, when a podcast where like fellow underdogs chat with each other do well. And, and it started to kick off really hard. And then there were some people that were like, well, would you ever do solo episodes? And I'm like, nobody wants to just hear me talk. My voice isn't, you know, charming or anything. And then all of a sudden it was nice because I was so overwhelmed in my business. We didn't always have the time to reach out to a ton of guests. So I, I did a string of like five solo episodes and those started being tremendously high performing. And I have just the right amount of self-hate, right? <laughs> to like that to surprise me. But yeah. I just want your audience to know, no matter how annoying you find yourself to be, no matter how off-putting you feel like you might be, there are other people, and I'm still trying to accept it, that will really love you for what you have to say and how you have to say it in that tone. Give them that opportunity. It's really cool. I'm still trying to like fully absorb that, um, right. but it but it is real. I know. It is. It's absolutely a really hard place to get to. Oh, gosh. It's it is really hard to sit there and say there's, there is value here. Can you talk about, you know, I want to dive into some of the the nuance of business. How do you know at what point to hire your first person? Cause I know that's something you and I both kind of struggled with is like, we got to do it all. Then maybe kind of controlling with how it was done, but getting to that point where maybe people have been doing their own thing for a while now, how to hire. So when to know, to hire yeah, like when to know that when you're at when it will be valuable and maybe you're ready to bring in somebody to help with an aspect of your business. Yeah, when you're losing your mind. You yeah. know, for me, for me it was around 2017. Uh, Don't quote me on it, but I was so friggin' scared of. I'm not a trust fund kid. I didn't. You know, my wife like we don't we don't come from a ton of money. We have families that are comfortable, but we pinch pennies. You know, we're we try to be frugal. We try to be now. I'll I'll spend money on things that are high quality now. I'm a lot better about that. I'll always invest in my education. Even if it's like a $4,000 workshop, I will find a way to make it work because I just value that. But what was terrifying for me and what got to the point for me is I just I was acting like my own assistant. Your audience will laugh at this. At one point, I was posing as my own assistant. I made her up. Her name was Amber because I was so uncomfortable having the money conversations. I was trying to create separation. And yeah. so here I am responding to people as Amber doing all my emails, my tweets, my DMs, trying to coach athletes full-time, speaking, like traveling 100,000 miles plus a year to speak. And eventually just led to like, there there were days where I'd languish, days where I'd probably have some emotional outbursts and just be frustrated, days where I no longer had the energy to train. Like I would go train, but I'd get so taxed after three to four exercises because my nervous system was just done that I couldn't do it anymore. Um, but then I struggled with the fact that I don't trust easily. And there's been a lot of people in my life that were not really who they said they were. And so the idea of paying somebody $25 an hour, $30 an hour, or a salary was terrifying because I haven't known much loyalty in my life. And it eventually just got to the point where there was no other option. I knew I needed administrative help. And I would say that's the first thing anybody should hire. It's also the hardest thing to hire for administrative help. And so we, at this point, even today, as I talked to you in 2022, we have gone through probably six or seven administrative assistants. Only probably one was a really good fit. And she had to move on because her family grew and her husband, her husband's job changed and all that. But you need to, it goes back to valuing your time. 
you will never grow something if you don't give yourself an opportunity to just have your days be centered around what you're the best at or what you might be the best at. And it's ongoing. I want to say that right now. My days are not wake up, journal, shower, workout. My days are wake up, deal with the shit show, try to get stuff done still. Uh, but it's a lot less of that than it would have been if I wouldn't have hired on help. So you need to do it. There's no option. I can sit here and say, oh, faster alone, further together. But the reality is, is you will burn out. You'll become resentful. You will eventually slip up and then your reputation will be tarnished just because you were too prideful or not creative enough to ask for help. Absolutely. And we all have the thing that we're really good at. And so then it's evaluating that time of what we're trying to like, well, I'm going to try to learn how to design a website. No, that will, that will take me so long. And that is not how my brain works. That's not what I'm good at. And frankly, even if I knew how, is that really how my time and energy is best spent when I could put that into something else that I'm actually really good at that comes easily? So I think that's that line too, of being able to say like, this person's actually an expert on that. And if I believe in... (laughs) in what people valuing me as an expert, then maybe we should walk that talk in our own business. Oh, no. I mean, uh, even again, and going back to it, and it's just so fresh in my mind because we always have our calls. What is today? Friday, as we record this on Thursdays, uh, a a gentleman's now been on three of our calls in our mastermind saying, I need to get the website up. I need to get the website up and I'll make his name up. I'm like, Bob, you know, you just need to pay somebody to do that, bro. I don't have, I don't have $5,000. I don't have this. I go, you don't need to, right. you know, but you do, you do need to invest something in it. You need to have somebody that's like a store. That's like, if we go to a restaurant and they don't have a storefront, right. you know, a website today at the very least, excuse me, is your storefront. And there are so right. many cheap, easy solutions and people are going to Google you. I have a friend named John Christie. I love him to death, but if you Google John Christie, like five things that come up first in Google are about a serial killer who was alive in the 1800s named John Christie. Listen, Brianna, literally there is a website called Murderpedia. I go, John, make a website for yourself because if you type in your name, Murderpedia comes up. (laughs) Oh God, it's so true. So I know most of y'all know that I have recently moved to the Boise area and I'm trying to like find people, you know, I'm trying to find like, who's going to do my hair? Where should I go for this? Where should I go for that? Like, I need to create and find community. So the things I'm doing as the person seeking out the entrepreneurs, the business owners, the experts in certain fields, I'm Googling. I'm looking at their Instagrams. I'm looking to see how can I get a good idea of this person is the right fit by that surface level, I guess, feedback, right? And I think that we forget that. We forget the importance of that because there are people like me. And I'm not even someone who's that neurotic with my research on that stuff. Well, I mean, maybe, but you know, I'm I'm trying to get that information. If that's not accessible and clear, if we're not taking that ownership, that's going to read really poorly. Yep. A hundred percent. I want to acknowledge your audience again and again and again, this stuff is not easy. It does take a village. And so I'm not trying to hard sell anybody, but this is why Brianna and I do this. And this is why we're taking a concerted effort at Art of Coaching this year to help coaches and people build their own brand the right way. Not, you know, how do you stand out without selling out? And that's that we've just learned that that's how we have to pivot this year to help more coaches is help them identify how to take the next step in all these pieces. And Brianna and I, you know, off the record, on the record, we keep each other sane. There are plenty of times where I've called her and I'm like, I am so pissed right now. I put my heart and soul and so much money into this. 
thing that we tried doing. I'm just making, you know, some example up and then this didn't work or that didn't work. And then with COVID, but guys, again, just lay a brick, quit trying to build a wall. If you try to build a wall every day, and I can say this too, cause I'm working on my PhD. It seems like it's never going to get done, but I've got to remind myself, all right, maybe three days a week, I can just write like 500 words. You know, I'm going to quit doing this everyday thing. Cause it's not, it's not working for me every day, but like find a way to lay a brick, lay a brick. You can all lay a damn brick and eventually that wall will get built if you lay them. Right. I mean, it's progressively overloading your business. And I know we've talked about that a lot and coaches understand that. Like we get that theoretically in business. We do that with our athletes. We do that with our programming. We understand that process probably better than most people do, but we forget to apply those very same principles to building a business and really staying in it in the long game. If you want to deadlift 300 pounds, that's not going to happen in a few months. And it might not even happen in a few years. It might be a long, long effort of that. Phenomenal point. I I love what you said there. Periodize that and or progressive overload. Periodize your career, right? Periodize your career. And that's one other thing I'll say. I don't know if you feel like this, but we got on the call and I told you, January and February can kind of be doldrum months. Some people start off and they're like, uh, new year, new you, we're going to beat the world. And like these, these are months that I'm learning, especially for our audience can be very hard. I have, we have have a guy in Canada, they're getting shut down again. This is happening. That's happening. And I I think it's important to know, just like you're training your health, your fitness, there's going to be months when you kill it months when you don't, you know, at the very least we, we know from a health standpoint, you can go for a walk sometimes in your business and when you're growing it, you need to find the equivalent of just going for a walk that day, you know, go for a, refine your messaging. Um, if you're, if you're putting together a lead magnet, maybe you just write three ideas of what might be in it, but make the barrier to entry so low for success because that's, what's going to help you. And and I'm not going to apologize for that. I don't think that's BS. I think that's what you need to do to stay consistent in today's increasingly chaotic shit show of a world. Right. No kidding. I like to think of at least my business in the, the way that I've had to think about my whole life is seasons. Like sometimes I'm in season and I know exactly what that looks like. My head is down and we are working. That is yep. where it really counts. But then there's off season. And then what are we doing in off season to recover and also sort of like think about what we need to do for future planning and just being able to like break it out into different seasons and chunks of time to know what the focus is. And that's what helps with sustainability. And that's really helped my brain because otherwise I would just go, I'd be like, I'm in season all the time. And I know you give me shit for that, but um, I really do have to like January, February for, for me is sort of like a, an off season where we're still ramping up a little bit. We're building, or I should, I should say preseason. We're kind of building, trying to get ready. And then when March, April, May, like we're in season summer. Okay. We're in off season. October, November. All right, we're ramping up. So it's, I think that can also be a really healthy strategy for a lot of entrepreneurs that are fitness minded, because we can take the principles that have been beaten into us over the years and apply it to our craft now. Yep. Yep. No, I like that. I think that's, I think that's perfect. I just think more people also just need to get around each other. You yeah. know, that, that is what I've learned is as successful as our blind spot course was. And it's a great starting point for people. And I know you have tons of resources as well our number one feedback was, this is awesome, but now I need to get around people. And I know yeah. even I feel that. Like We love where we live in, in Atlanta. We live about an hour outside of it in Woodstock. It's out in the cut. But there are days like today where I wish you were in my office with me or that there's another kind of yeah. entrepreneur coach just to kind of chat, talk, or even just have like a shared workspace. Yeah. Um, so I think acknowledging that too with your audience, guys, it can get very lonely. That's okay. You're not the only one feeling that. 
uh, find a community, get a part of it. For us, that's why I started our coalition community. I felt really lonely in that every mastermind out there, and I hate that term, was like, uh, especially for guys, it's, it's like, oh, wear a, wear a suit, fly a jet. Here's a platinum blonde, shoot a gun. And I'm like, yo, what about people that just want to like share ideas with people that aren't full of shit? Yeah. And so I want to empower all of you guys listening. Like if you can't find a community that suits you, create your own. Um, because there are a lot of people out there that can feel lonely and wanting something like that too. And they don't need something crazy where you're going to Bali for a retreat. Right. Oh my God. And all that stuff just totally drives me crazy. Cause that just, that feels unattainable. And even if I had all the money in the world, that would not be how I utilize it. You know, like that's, it, it, it just feels gross. I call that like gross marketing, bro marketing, whatever you want to be. And it's on both both sides were, you know, male focused mastermind or the boss babe culture kind of thing. So I know, I know we both feel that. And I just really appreciate the work that you're doing and sharing so much of your backstory and just the intricacies, because there's so many people that can relate to this, regardless of if they're in the fitness or strength conditioning community or not. So Brett, tell us where we can find out more about what you have to offer online or some of your in-person events. Yeah. I mean, the best thing is artofcoaching.com. You know, that's going to have access to my Instagram, all that. We have a podcast, the Art of Coaching podcast. And if anything that we talked about, about building your business resonates with you guys again in March, we have our brand builder event. Just go to artofcoaching.com slash brand. I I know some people don't like that term, but remember your brand is your reputation. Your reputation is your brand. And uh, we have payment- like you're not a murderer, right? Or something like right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we have payment plans, all that. Guys, like, here's the thing we're not going to apologize for what we charge because we put our heart and soul into it. Um, but I can promise you, I will do my best to deliver you with value that is like three times whatever you pay. Yeah. Um, we're very self competitive. We don't want to disappoint people. So I'd love the opportunity to serve you guys uh, if you have the ability to get out here and learn. Yeah. And for all of you listening still, um, I 100% back Brett. I've been to his in-person workshops. I've learned a lot from him as a colleague, but also as a student. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We'll talk soon. Of course. You know, I love you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed 
and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Thank you.